Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gut of the prison of the grave. This time a bride-to-be, a corpse in a plush bungalow, and a southern drawl behind a gun all had one thing in common. They moved through the same deep shadow. It happened like this. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. Now, with Gerald Moore starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Deep Shadow. Hello. Uh, Mr. Philip Marlowe, please. This is Marlowe. Oh, my name is Harvey Kettering. And I'm to be married in four hours at nine sharp. Oh, congratulations. I hope you'll be very happy. But my bride is gone. Disappeared. I need your help. Now, look, if you've been left waiting at the altar, I can't... No, 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 it's nothing like that. She's in, she's in trouble, Mr. Marlowe, I'm sure. Oh? Shirley loves me. Now, I'll pay anything you say. Two hundred, three hundred, anything. Only get out here fast, please. Now, wait a minute. Where is here? 3840 Sunswept Drive. It's in Studio City, just across the hills mm. from Hollywood. 38 Take 20. Laurel Canyon. Well, now, look, Mr. Kettering, but Please, I... Mr. Marlowe, please. Okay, okay. All right, Mr. Kettering, I'll see you. The address he gave me turned out to be a healthy chunk of old Spain. A whitewashed house that spread out for at least a hundred yards under a pink-tiled roof. As admitted by a butler with owl eyes, no shoulders, and a small bay window, and we... Played follow the leader over cool marble, ankle-deep Persian rug and inlaid Philippine mahogany. Finally, I was ushered into the ballroom, which was big enough for a highlight match. It was decked out for a wedding from the champagne buckets and dead over ice lobsters to a pink rose-covered canopy at the center. And in the middle of it all, chained smoking while he worried, was my new client, Harvey Kittering. Well, Mr. Marlowe, I'm afraid there isn't a moment to lose, so I'd better tell you what I know quickly. Uh, but uh, let's step outside on the patio. All right, Mr. Kittering. Uh, Mr. Marlowe, last night, Shirley and I What's went to the... What's full name, Mr. Kettering? Doyle, Shirley oh. Doyle. Oh, yes, here. Uh, here's a snapshot of her. Mm -hmm. She's 25, blonde, and as you can see, Mr. Marlowe, very attractive. You're so right. You started to tell me about last night. Oh, yes. Uh, we were out together at a nightclub, the Blue Chip. On Ventura Boulevard? Oh, yes. Now, we'd never been there before, yet I think that's where it started. What do you mean, started? Well, when we were leaving the place about midnight, I called a cab... I was just giving the driver Shirley's home address, the Moore Park Court Apartments, when suddenly she told me to get in and told the driver to start at once. You know why? No, I thought perhaps she'd, she'd seen somebody coming from the club. But when I asked her about it, she said it was just her nerves, since tomorrow is her wedding day. I see. Then today she was supposed to call, but she didn't. At two, I called her. Talk to her? No, she was gone. Hmm. But I talked to the day maid. She said when she arrived, she... Brought in a note that had been left outside Shirley's door. There's one of those leave a message pads in a box on her porch rail. Mm -hmm. She said it seemed to upset Shirley terribly. M Mr. Marlowe, what are we going to do? Now, look, have you been over there to Shirley's place? No, I haven't. Got a key? Yes, I do. All right, Mr. Kettering, you have the key, so let's go. But uh, what shall I do about the guests? The, the Nothing right now. We may be lucky. <laughs> Uh, 
there are only three rooms, Mr. Marlowe. Uh, uh, what do you suggest we do? Well, first, let's look for that note. She may have left it here somewhere. Now, you try the bedroom. I'll start with the wastebasket. Full of papers. All right. Just as you say, Mr. Marlowe. Yeah, sure. Uh, Endicott Clinic. 321 North Rossmore. Say, um, Kettering, what does Shirley do for a living? Oh, she was a receptionist, Mr. Marlowe, at a medical clinic on Rossmore. Well, that figures. Oh, uh, Mr. Marlowe. What? Mr. Marlowe, I found it. The, the note the maid spoke of, it's the same paper written with a soft pencil like the one attached to that box outside. It was on her dresser. Now give it here. Let's see it. Dear Shirley Doyle, guess who I ran into last night? Francis Dragato. Suggest you meet me at the corner of Ventura and Woodsett Boulevard at 1030. Not signed, huh? Is Francis spelled with an E? Yeah, yeah, the girl's name. I've never heard Shirley mention any Francis Dragato. Mm. And a public street corner wouldn't be much of a place to check five hours after people met, would it, Mr. Marlowe? No, I suppose not. Uh, Mr. Marlowe, what, what have you got? What is it? Hmm? Oh, a page torn out of the classified directory, a listing of theatrical agencies. Line through by pencil from A down to C. Well, the last one crossed out is Capital Artist. Yeah, that makes Drake Talent Agency next. Well, she never had anything to do with show business, Mr. Marlowe. What do you think it means? I don't know. Uh, you going to check with the Drake Agency? No, my first stop's going to be where you were last night, the blue chip. I know the owner, Eddie Shaft, and Eddie knows an awful lot, including things that uh, aren't always exactly his business. May be able to help us if he wants to. Uh, sh shall I come along, Mr. Marlowe? No, no, you go home, Kettering. I'll try to deliver your bride before nine. All right. Uh, oh, shall I pay you now? Now we'll let it go, C.O.D., I haven't the slightest idea what I'm going to run into. The snapshot of Shirley Doyle, my client had given me, reminded me of the kid you went to school with. You know, she had the kind of well-scrubbed look you knew was quick to smile, but I knew that she could be in a lot of trouble if she was tied in at all with the dapper Eddie Shaft. After dark, the blue chip was one of those cozy, soft lights, melting on thick drapes kind of places. It made you forget all about the stiff prices for limp food. But now, at a little better than five in the afternoon, under wide-eyed, unblinking work lights, it had all the cushion come hither of a union hall. In one corner, a skinny musician with a golf ball complexion was working over a clarinet. While in the middle of a dance flow with no more diameter than the hole in a candy lifesaver, a girl was standing on a piano stool. She was smoking and looking straight ahead at nothing. Her red shingled hair, promise of a nose and plunged neckline, tagged her as the singer on the posters outside. One Miss Cocky Netherlands. The place is closed, soldier. Glad you told me. Never would have known. Never mind the routine, soldier. Just come to the point. What do you want? Uh, just a few words with the boss. Eddie around? No. No, he's not. Uh-huh. How about his bungalow in Coldwater Canyon? You mean it hasn't hit the papers yet? What's the connection between Eddie and the headline? Soldier, Eddie was stabbed to death sometime this morning. You've got to be kidding. Sometime between 9 and 11, the cops say. Well, so long. Hey, wait a minute, wait a minute, Corky. You have any idea who did it? No. Except that maybe it was a dame. Any description on her? The law isn't gabby about things, soldier, believe me. If you don't, try Eddie's bungalow yourself and find out. All right, you guys. Now, how shall 
up, will you? Oh, yeah, and Mooney, don't forget to have that fingerprint crew go over his other car on that back porch rail. Okay, Lieutenant. Hagen, they start the body downtown now. Yeah, I guess so. We're not going to get any smarter staring at Hiya, Matthews. Huh? Oh, hello, Phil. What brings you up here? Curiosity. I was in the neighborhood. What's the setup? I hear it's supposed to be a woman. Could be. Where do you hear this? Singer over at the Blue Chip, Corky Netherlands. Oh, her. Yeah, well, she's clear. She yeah. was home right up until noon, and she can prove it. Mm-hmm. This happened a little before noon, an hour or so. But it was a woman, all right. What makes you so sure? Oh, Phil. Fresh lipstick on a glass and a cigarette, a kitchen knife for a murder weapon, etc. No. Also, some long-nosed neighbor saw a girl. Said she was young, maybe blonde. She wasn't sure. Saw her run out of here a little after 11 this morning. Mm-hmm. All this uh, adds up to somebody in particular, huh? Well, it should, Phil. Norma Mayetta. Who? She was... Norma Mayetta is her name. She oh, was Eddie's yeah, dearest, yeah. you see. It should add, but it doesn't. She left town last night for Chicago on the 1 a.m. plane. We checked it. Of course, Eddie Shaft went with a lot of girls. Uh, excuse me, That's all right. We uh, just got hold of that night cashier over at the Blue Chip. Yeah, what do you say, Money? Shaft took 50,000 bucks in small bills out of the office safe last night. Oh, what time? About 2 a.m. Had it in a large manila envelope. Yeah. Nothing even close to a manila envelope's turned up here, has it? No, Lieutenant, but that gives us another angle to shoot at. All right, Mooney, pass the word to the boys. Okay, Lieutenant. Look, Marlo, just a passing thought. All right. You sure you're just curious? You sure you don't want to play one and one makes two with me? Yeah, yeah, I'm sure, Lieutenant. Well, look, I'll see you. I'll give you a call Marlo. if I... Huh? Wait a minute. Yeah? Look, I know all about your professional ethics, you know, relations between client and private detective. Yeah. We won't go into that. We're going to go into something else very briefly, Phil. You know, the law on many points is quite clear, Marlowe. Clear like what, Matthews? Clear like the status of an accessory before or after the fact in a murder case. And like aiding and abetting a criminal. Like a lot of things you know all about, Phil. Keep them in mind, will you? Okay, Matthews. Yeah, I'll see you. Since the lieutenant hadn't mentioned Francis Dragato, I didn't see why I should. All of which made it a good time for me to cross my fingers and check the name which had been on deck on the list in Shirley's apartment. The Drake Talent Agency. The place which was on Sunset Strip was strictly coy colonial from a miniature Mount Vernon front to an oversized mirror-polished brass knocker on the front door that said my tie was crooked. And I was sure that the gentleman who answered the door noticed it. It was impeccable. In cocoa brown gabardine, white high-at-the-throat tab shirt, and also... Coco brown silk tie. And at the bottom, there were thick-soled cordovans with leather laces. At the top, a crew cut over jet black horn rims. He took the glasses off, and long, soft fingers toyed with one stem while he talked. Yes, sir? Now, my name is Philip Marlowe. I'd like to talk to Mr. Drake. I'm Mr. Drake. Oh? What was it you wanted, Mr. Marlowe? Well, I'm not exactly sure. You see, I, uh... Hey, Drake, this picture here is Corky Netherlands, right? The third one over, yes. Uh, she's a client of ours. But this picture isn't what you came to talk about, is it, Mr. Marlowe? What's our home address? I beg your pardon. Come on, quick. It's important. And confidential. This isn't a lonely Skip heart it. spot, Mr. Marlowe. I was playing a long shot when I knocked on your door, Drake, but now it's paid off, so tell me. Any stranger call for Corky's address today? I don't know, and the secretary's already left. Look here, Mr. Marlowe. What's this all about? Murder, Mr. Drake. Murder? A messy one. Now, do you give me the address, or do I start after it myself? Well, I, I, I don't know. Come but... on, answer up, Drake. The Towers, an apartment hotel on Ivar. Now, one last thing. Don't call her after I leave unless you want to be up to your hand-stitched lapels and cops.
In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, you might think that after several years with Gracie Ellen, George Burns had seen everything, done everything, been everything. But this Wednesday night, you'll find George in a brand new role, that of a Floradora girl with costume and complications by Gracie Ellen. The Burns and Allen Show is heard every Wednesday on most of these same CBS stations, along with the Bing Crosby Show and the Groucho Marx program. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, we return to the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's story, The Deep Shadow. I left the glossy Mr. Drake and his glossy little agency with his mouth hanging open and drove down to Hollywood Boulevard to Ivar, and from there up the hill to a five-story air-conditioned monolith with Venetian blinds called the Towers, which offered about as much sanctuary as the Yankee Stadium. I parked heading downhill and walked in across the buzzing green and silver lobby draped with pale pink curtains and blasé women to the elevator and rode up to the third floor. Corky Netherland's apartment was the fourth down the hall to the right, and quiet, but the door was ajar two inches. So I rapped hard enough to swing it all the way open. The answer sounded like a cry for help from the bottom of a well. When it came again, I went in, and it took me a few seconds to realize that the noise was coming from a closet. And when I got it open, Corky Netherlands reeled out, looking like she'd been through a threshing machine. She was was after the money. Who was after what money, Corky? Who? Some dame, I didn't know her, but she... There she is. Shirley! Miss Doyle, wait a minute! It was Shirley Doyle. She'd been hiding inside near the door. She grabbed a handy oversized ashtray and let it fly at us and beat it. I made it to the hall just as the elevator door closed, so I took the stairs and raced it down to the lobby. I got out on the street in time to see Shirley with a large vanilla envelope in one hand pile into a sleek new Hudson and take off. I ran to my car to follow her, but that was as far as I got. I was stopped cold by a nasty little gut in the hands of a southern accent behind a pair of strictly Hollywood dark glasses. Be a good boy, honey, and hold it. Now look, right sister, there. who do you think you are? Now, what are I'll you... ask the questions if you don't mind. Why are you in such a fuss over the girl who just made off I was trying to get her out of a jam, believe it or not. Well, now, isn't that the darndest coincidence you ever saw? So am I. Only you want to catch her, and I want her to get away. But I guess that's life, isn't it, honey? Yeah, in the raw, in the raw. You said it. We got big business together, her and me. And it sure don't include you. Uh, just a minute. This adds like you could be Francis Dragato. Francis who? The Dragato. Me? Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, that name's much too fancy for the likes of me, honey. I reckon we can break it up now. So why don't you just give me the keys there in your hand? My keys? Come on, give. Yeah, well... That's a good boy. Now, don't try anything silly. And, uh, don't fret, honey. I'll leave your car two or three blocks down the street here. Look, maybe you ought to go back upstairs and console little sugar child up there. Maybe take her to a movie or something. You know, the cooler off. Well, that's a nice, fresh thaw. I'm loaded with yeah, it. Yeah, you're Try loaded. Try me again sometime. So long. Dames. <clears throat> Someday I'm going to get a case where there's no dames connected. Either directly or indirectly. Parking my car three blocks away, that's fine, fine. Just fine. Hey, hey, going up. Flower, please, sir. Three. Did you catch her, Marlo? Did you get her? No, no, she got away. Which leaves you and me, Corky, to make cozy conversation about that mention of dough you slipped on when I let you out of the closet. Come on back in the room, honey. What 
Money. Now, look, you worked for Eddie Shaft as a singer in his club, but what else was Eddie to you beside boss? Just a minute. I don't see what business that is of yours. It's easy, it's easy. He was murdered. The cops have already talked to me, soldier. I'm clean. Those negotiations can be reopened at any time. For one thing, you forgot to tell them anything about Doe, and yet they're very interested in 50,000 missing bucks. That 50 grand was right here in the apartment, wasn't it? Well, you can't blame a girl for trying, Marlon. No, not unless she tries too hard. Now, what does the name Francis Tregato mean to you? Francis Tregato? Okay, skip it, skip it. Where'd you get the dough? Eddie gave it to me to keep for him. Why you? I thought Norma Maeda had the inside track with Eddie. Not after he fell in love with me. Oh, no, no, that's not good enough, baby. There was a double cross. Where was it? Now, look, Corky, you might as well be smart about it, huh? All right, I didn't kill him. But if you can get that dough back for me, I'll split it with you. Right down the middle. I'm listening. That club of his is dying on its feet. The blue chip's going broke. Eddie and Norma Mayetta raised $50,000 to keep it going. But Eddie decided to get out from under. He got rid of Norma by sending her to Chicago in a trumped-up deal. Then he put all that cash in one lump and gave it to me to hold. We were going to run out together. Only somebody got to him, nailed him, and that left you holding the bag with fifty grand in it. That's nice. Except then a girl who belongs in this mess like a great-grandmother belongs in a high hurdle race stepped in and took it away from you. With the help of a southern accent and dark glasses. Who are you calling? A friend of mine at Homicide. Why, you Sit t- down and shut up. So far, you've been lucky, Corky. Don't push it. Dan Matthews, Homicide. Marlowe Matthews, listen, on that Eddie Shaft case. Yeah, what about it? I got a couple of things you might be of help to you. Now, look, item one. That missing 50 grand is being sought after by a southern accent and dark glasses. A woman? Yeah, and she pulled a gun on me. Item two. The name Francis Dragato, it ties in. D-R-A-G-O-T-T-O. Ring any bells? Dragato. That's what I said. Yeah, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember, yeah. Yeah, but it's nothing, Marlon. It's ancient history. Dragato I knew was a third-rate burglar, shot and killed resisting arrest down the Sandbar District about five years ago, way back when I was a prowl car sergeant. Look, what about this Tell me, Dragato have a wife? No, no, I think there was a daughter around. Name Francis? I don't remember that good, Marlon. Look, what is this Dragato business, anyway? Well, so far, it's a hunch. That's what I thought. Climb off of it and get down to facts, will you? Who's the dame after that Eddie Shaft money? Where did you run into her? I lost her on Ivar. That's not what I asked you, I know that's not what you asked, but anything else would be a breach of my client's confidence. All right, look, Marlon, I'm real serious. I'm going to give you just one hour to notify your client and get down here and spill. After that, I'm putting out a call to have you picked up for withholding evidence. Matthews ain't kidding this time. You, uh, didn't say goodbye. That's quite a tightrope you walk, Marlowe. Yeah, sometimes. Mm -hmm. You're good. And I'm a girl of my word. You get that money back for me and it's 50-50. You're my only chance. Don't kid no kidder, baby. You're a girl of two words. Double and cross. Good night, Corky. I found my car all right a half a block from Sunset Boulevard. It took 20 minutes to get from there to the Sandbar District. And it was downhill all the way. It was a neighborhood squeezed and cramped in by a solid wall of massive factories and as fested as the bottom of a bent garbage can. At the corner of River Street and 3rd, I found the house. Three sagging, rotten stories of tenement that squatted in the eternal shadow of a huge gas tank like a sick, dirty old man. The proud, gleaming giant of City Hall was only seven blocks away. I just as well have been 70 miles. I went up to the door and knocked, and finally it inched open, just far enough for a face the color of dishwater to peek out. 
She hissed at me for a minute through the gap where her front teeth should have been and then told me she was Ma Hargis, the manager, motioned me inside. The living room looked like something swept out the back door of a down-at-the-heel museum. So, you want to know about the Dragotas, huh? Yeah, they lived here, didn't they? Maybe, maybe not. Cops got the old man about five years ago? It's possible. Hmm. What became of his daughter? Where's Francis Dragato? Why? What are you being so cagey about, Ma? Because a bird that asks questions has got an angle, always. <laughs> and the one who knows the answer has got a price, huh? Always. Hmm. Okay, how far will a couple of bucks go? From here to the door. Two bucks won't even buy a buzz on beer these days. All right, we'll make it five. Here. Oh, that's better. <coughs> well, Dirk Gregoto and his kid Francis had the second floor here for 15 years. His wife died of TB first year they was here. Oh, she was a smart one, that Francis. Had a hit on her. Hmm. She always said she was going to get off the sandbar someday and be somebody. <laughs> oh, I told her she'd never make it. It's too far, mister. Kids down here get dirty. And it's the kind of dirt you can't wipe off. It gets inside of mine. No. <laughs> yeah. Tell me, what happened to her? I don't know. When her old man got it, she left and I never seen her again. Not to this day. Probably left town and wound up working the gin mills in some other place. Is that they the five bucks do. worth? Huh? Well, <laughs> you bought sight unseen, sonny. Tell me, you got a picture of her? Yeah. As a matter of fact, I have. Good. She was uh, 17 at the time. It's kind of fuzzy, but uh, you can see hey, she Hey, wait a minute, Ma. Huh? Are you sure this is Francis Dragato? Say, she lived in this dump for 15 years out. I'm sure I know. She looks like somebody else. Girl who was supposed to get married tonight. I got another picture of Francis here someplace. Wait a minute, a better one. Let me see now. Here, here it is. This was took down on Oliveira Street, one of them stands. Oh, that's her best friend there with her, Norma Maeta. Norma Maeta. <laughs> Norma was a tough little egg. Folks drank all the time and let Norma run wild. Oh, fine. Mm. Francis Dragato and Norma Maeta are friends. I'll say. Them two was quite a team. No bad. I always wanted to do something for them girls, but what can you ever do in a hole like this for anybody? You've just done it, Ma. Here's five more. Buy yourself another light bulb. Throw a party with the change. So long. The eyes of one young woman and the chin and mouth of another, side by side, smiling into a camera, had cleared up a lot of questions. But there was one more that needed an answer fast. I called Matthews from the first phone booth I came to, brought him up to date in a hurry, and then asked him to check Norma Maeda's place, and if that was blank, to meet me at the Moore Park Court Apartments which was the only other likely place I could think of. I crowded traffic lights all the way out, but he and Sergeant Mooney got there almost as soon as I did. And I led them back to Francis Tregato's well-lit cottage, the one she'd taken in her new name, Shirley Doyle. Mooney went to cover the back while Matthews and I moved in up front. Your hunches are paying off tonight, Marlowe. Oh, yeah, they're in here all right. Yeah, come on over this way. The window's open. We can catch a little conversation first, you know. It might help. Yeah, if you keep quiet, we can. I'm due in Chicago. Thanks for your help. Francis, dear. Yeah. I had to get this money. 
Now more than ever. You've got it, Norma, for goodbye. Now that stuffed shirt you're going to marry, you'll never know where you really came from or who you really are. Did you get that? Oh, and one more thing, dear, before I go. Yeah. I killed Eddie Shaft this morning. You what? Heard nothing of you? No, 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 hold on. When he put me on the plane for Chicago, I figured something was fishy, so I got off and I came back. And I found out he was selling me short for that little jerk, Corky Netherlands. We had an argument. I killed him. Of all the Then I remembered seeing you leave the blue chip last night. I needed someone like you to get the money for me, Francis. Yeah, there's your tie-in. I couldn't afford to be seen here in L.A. when I was supposed to be in Chicago. Not with a murder on my neck. But you were seen by that man who chased me at the hotel. Who, Marlowe? He's still looking for a southern drawl and dark glasses. You're the only one who knows the truth, and you're in it with me now. I'm not going to let you involve me in a murder, Norma. Getting that money was one thing, but I'm not going to be mixed up in a killing. I don't care what it costs me. I'm going to tell the whole thing. You're a fool, Francis. I got a good alibi for one murder. It'll work for two. Let's go, Matthews. Yeah, fast. Come on. Stop me now, Francis. Nobody is. And who's that? All right, hold it, girls. We're police. You're not taking me. Come back, Matthews. Morning, stop her. Hey, stop. Drop it, lady. No! Come on, Marlowe. I, I think she's dead, Lieutenant. She wouldn't stop. She was shooting at me, but she's a woman. All right, Mooney. That gun in her hand, she was a killer and nothing more. Yeah, I suppose she was. If you'd asked that kid inside, she could tell you what made her that way. Oh, well, let's get out of here, Matthews. <laughs> Thank you enough, Mr. Marlowe, for bringing Shirley, uh, that is, Francis, back to me safely. Oh, believe me, Mr. Kettering, it was a real pleasure. And uh, you, Lieutenant Matthews, for your cooperation on withholding the publicity aspects of this horrible no, thing. Oh, no, it's okay, Mr. Kettering. Glad to help out. We're going to be married, you know, right away. Shirley told me the story and wanted to postpone the wedding, but I wouldn't hear of it. Good. After all, I'm not marrying her for the past. I'm marrying her for the future. Yeah. Best wishes, Mr. Kettering. Yeah. Maybe tomorrow when Shirley's calmed down... Give her my congratulations, will you? Well, after a long cup of coffee and a lot of conversation about people with Matthews, I finally got in my car and headed home to my apartment on Franklin Avenue. Which isn't the best street in town, but it is lined with palm trees instead of garbage cans. And the sun hits it all day long. Yeah, but that reminded me again of River Street, the deep perpetual shadow that hangs over it. A dirty shadow that Ma Hargis said could never be rubbed off. A shadow that spawns the Norma Maedas of the world. I was still thinking about it while I got ready for bed. I knew Ma wasn't 100% right. I'd seen the exception of the rule. But she was 99% right. Just enough to disturb my sleep. Oh, well. One guy can't change things. Can he?
Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and are written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Gerald Moore may currently be seen starring in Republic's The Blonde Bandit. Featured in tonight's cast were Lillian Bieff, Joan Banks, Verna Felton, Yvonne Patey, Jeff Corey, Jack Crucian, and Tom Holland. Detective Lieutenant Matthews is played by Larry Dubkin. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. Be sure and be with us again next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time I started with a Romanian from left field. Got misled in the Philippine jungles, chased an English accent clear to Venice, and wound up at a Shinto shrine with a friend from Siam. All without ever leaving Los Angeles. This is Roy Rowan speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Get this and get it straight. Crime is a sucker's road, and those who travel it wind up in the gutter, the prison, or the grave. This started with a terrified woman lost in a maze of memories she couldn't explain. And waiting for her outside an open window was death. From the pen of Raymond Chandler, outstanding author of crime fiction, comes his most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. with our star, Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story, The Open Window. California's a year-round kind of place, where each day blends into the next with a sort of sunny indifference. The one just passed had been a little special. It was the cool, crisp autumn weather that reminded you of the east, where autumn meant kicking your way through knee-deep drifts of brown and yellow leaves, along a rutted country road that hinted of adventure at every turn. Yeah, that's the kind of a day it had been. But now, at a little past eight, as I stood at the window of my third-floor apartment and stared out over enough improved Los Angeles real estate to house maybe half a million people that tonight I wanted no part of, because the world was out there minding everybody else's business. Well, I was in here minding my own. In here, everything was in order and cozy. I could read if I want to, write a letter if I want to, or just relax with... Oh, no. Your name Philip Marlowe? Yeah, why? Because I have that name and this address written here on this card. I think I was supposed to see you. Do you know me? Well, no, frankly, I don't. What were you supposed to see me about? Who are you, Mr. Marlon? I mean, what sort of business... I'm a private detective. Private detective? Wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not that bad a racket. (laughs) Oh, now, look. Why don't you come in and we'll talk this over, huh? Come on. There. Sit down, won't you? 
You look like you could even use a drink. Do you want one? Uh, no, thank you. I just need to rest a moment. Oh. I've been walking for hours. Well, now, tell me, what is it? A man, I think. Someone's been following me. I was followed here, I'm sure. I, I don't know why. Really? This is Los Angeles, California, isn't it? Yeah. I keep thinking... That is, I feel as though it should be Vancouver, British Columbia. Oh? I don't know how I got here or why I want to see you, but I've walked until I'm nearly exhausted, and I, I found that I'd written your name and address on this card here, so I, I decided to come and try to find out. Well, now tell me. Do you know who you are? No, I don't know who I am. Uh-huh. This man you're afraid of, do you know him? No. But I believe he knew me. He, he reminded me of Vancouver, and that frightened me. I seem to remember I saw him a year ago. Maybe it was just the day before yesterday. <laughs> See how crazy that sounds. But I can't help it. I, I can't remember. Here, here, I take can't. it easy. Now, you better lie down. Come on. Atta girl. Now, look, I think we ought to call a hospital and see it. Stay where you are. It's company in the hall. Maybe for us. Now, just take it easy. Hey! Hey, you! Hold it! Hold it up there! Oh, great. Who was it, Mr. Marlowe? I couldn't see. Don't let it bother you now, honey. It's probably just one of my clumsy neighbors. He never watches where he's going. You know, the other no, night... stop, please. All right. Whoever was out there was looking for me. I know he was. I know it. Now, look, honey... Isn't there something you can tell me? Don't you remember anything? No, I don't know. Here, look in my purse. There are things in it I don't understand. Maybe there'll be some help. Key. Address on a piece of brown paper. 8400 North Virgil. Tompkins. Does that mean anything to you? No. Mm. A little snapshot album with one of the pictures missing. Wait a minute. I remember now. It was stolen. Good. But I don't remember what the picture was. Oh, please, please try to find out who I am and why I'm being followed. Please try to find out why I'm afraid. All right, baby. Now, you stay here till I get back, huh? I won't bother anything. I'll wait right here. Oh, I'm so tired. I'm so I figured what she needed most was rest, and she was getting that fast, so I dropped the items from a person in my pocket, snapped the lock on my apartment door, and left. My first stop was the phone downstairs in the lobby, where I found out that the missing persons bureau had no one on file answering her description. My next stop was 8400 North Virgil. A half hour later, I found it. A crumbling, stucco rooming house in a welter of knobby hills, huddled with other ramshackle houses that years ago had abandoned any hope of beauty. In the face of the leaky, bobbing oil wells that had invaded the neighborhood like a horde of huge, greasy grasshoppers. I walked past one of the creaking monsters in the front yard, then down a grimy hall to a door marked manager, Jacob Philpotts, below which some neighborhood wag had penciled stinks. It wasn't funny. But neither was Jake Philpotts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what is this? Speak up, Spoiler. I'm very busy killing a soldier. What's on your mind besides your hat? <laughs> okay, comic. I want to see Tompkins. Oh, you want to see Tompkins? That's what yeah. I said. Well, you're too late, Spoiler. He's gone. Blue. Flew the coop. Took the 500 berries and shoved off two hours ago. For where? 
Well, for his hometown, I guess. Vancouver. It's way up in Canada. Which is a long walk, Sporty, so you better get started by... Wait a minute, Jake. Huh? Where did Tompkins get the 500? Where did he get... Well, some classy guy gave it to him. Classy guy? Why? Well, to get out of town and stay out. So he does. Uh-huh. But first he pays back all his back rent and buys me a bottle besides. <laughs> Wasn't that sweet of him? That stuff over there? Yeah. He must have hated you. Who was the classy guy? Why do you want Tompkins out of town? Why do you want Tompkins out of town? How do I know? What am I, an encyclopedia? Hey, look, Nosey, my whiskey's getting cold, so why don't you run along? I want to know who the I guy was, and I want it now. Oh, so you're going to stop pushing, huh? You want to fight, huh? Okay, <laughs> put him up. Come on. Take it easy, Buster. Take it easy. You'll beat yourself there to death. Is. Now, let's negotiate. Huh? Prop up against the wall, and I'll talk to you. What about a price for another bottle of that stuff? I wouldn't like to see the wedding. Another bottle? That's what I said. Oh, well, that's, that's different. That's real nice of you, Sporty. Not really, kid. I'm trying to poison you. Now, what was Tompkins' record? Oh, uh, gardener, carpenter, handyman. Nothing much. Uh, what else? Who was the classy guy that bought him off? Uh, let's see. Uh, I had his name right on the tip of my tongue a minute ago. A red-headed, flashy dresser had a sort of a... Oh! Oh! Palmer, Palmer. Yeah, boy. Yeah, 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 that's it, Palmer. Very good. Now, one more. Where can I find him? Well, he said something about running uh, uh, the pearls. Uh, you get it? Yeah, it's a dive on Highland. Thanks, Phil Potts. Oh, but don't thank me, Sporty. You bought it, remember? This brand comes to seven fifty with tax. Don't kid an old kid at Jake. You can squeeze that junk out of sour potatoes. Here's sour a potatoes! And have a happy hangover. Outside, the smell of the oil well as I passed it was welcome by comparison to Jake, which made it tough to reconcile anything I'd seen at 8400 North Virgil with the girl asleep on the divan in my apartment. As I drove back to Hollywood, then down Highland Avenue, the night was still strangely quiet. Everything seemed to come in whispers. Even the hunch I had that the vanishing Mr. Tompkins had sold out dirt cheap to the boss of the Pearls. Near 3rd Street, I spotted the place, parked a ways beyond it, and walked back. It was one of those dumps that dealt in bad bar whiskey. Second-rate bop and a lot of darkness. I shook off a brace of lost weekenders on my way through, made it up the stairs to the offices where a block of orange light on the floor and a two-tone conversation told me to stop, look, and listen. Time, baby. Alan, as they say in Missouri. I have to show you, huh? Uh-huh. All right, no, I will. You're not easy to get over. I still love you and I've missed you. So when you dropped me for your stuffy broker friend, I did a little checking up, and I found out plenty. About Cooper? About Cooper Gerard. I don't believe you. Oh, but you should, honey. You see, Norma, it's not about him specifically, but about a woman. A woman who's all wrong, who spells trouble this deep, and I can prove it. I went to work on it tonight, and things are going to be different from now on. Hey, I'm buddy, shh. Buddy, I want to get you Get out of here, get out of here, go on. Hey, now, wait a minute, all I want to know is where I said he? beat it, and I meant... Never mind, Buster. It doesn't matter anymore. My presence is now known. Come on in, Junior. You can hear better inside. I doubt it. I'll inhibit the performers. But thanks anyway. Buddy, all I want to know uh, Try is... the end of the hall, then left. It's usually there. Okay, thanks. That's all I want to know. Hello. Hello. What do you want, mister? Make it snappy. Okay. Why'd you pay Tompkins to leave town tonight? Tompkins? Who are you? Marlowe. Going to answer the question promptly? Why, certainly. I didn't pay him to leave town. I paid him for some work. Carpenter work. Why? What's the matter, Alan? Feel the whip handle slipping? Not a bit, baby. Look, why don't you run along now? I'll call you later. Oh, uh, here's your cigarette case. My cigarette case? Yeah. Take it with you. We'll get in touch later. 
Okay, Alan. Good night, Marlowe. Good night, Miss... Uh, uh... A casso. Not that it'll do you any good. Hmm? <laughs> That's a cute kid. Smart, too. All I'll right, all right. Why are you interested in Tompkins? Because a certain lady's interested. And a lady's name? None of your business. Okay. Go on. Miss Key. What door does it fit, Pomley? How should I know? Have you got anything else? Isn't that enough? Not enough to worry about, Marlowe. So I suggest that you leave... And in case you have any doubts, this thing goes off awful easy. I see your point. Yeah. And I'd just as soon shoot as not, so start down those stairs and don't look back. I bust for a couple of the boys. They'll be at the bottom to help you out the front door. Oh, and Marlo, take some advice. I don't like your type, so don't come back. Boys escorted me politely as far as the sidewalk and gave me a send-off that plowed me into the gutter. It was my own fault for letting Pomley get the drop on me, but he was farther ahead of me than I figured. In fact, I was lucky all I got was the bounce. I limped back to my car, got in and started home, but something about the trio of Norma Lacasso, Pomley, and a broker named Gerard was off-center. And Gerard's connections were too strong to pass up. So I decided to let the pale woman asleep in my apartment go right on sleeping while I stopped at a phone booth. Found only one Cooper Gerard listed, and he at 8112 North Orange Drive. It was a lonely house up in the Hollywood Hills. I tried the bell and got no answer. But I knew he was there. I slipped the enigmatic key out of my pocket and listened to the music coming from inside. I stuck it in the lock. It turned. Just as the footsteps inside, so I pulled it out fast and let the party on the other side of the door do the honors. What is it? You're Mr. Gerard? Yes, I'm Cooper Gerard. What is it? I'd like to come in and talk to you. My name's Marlowe. I'm a private detective. I've got a key that fits your front door, plus a little photo album full of a girl. Here. Why, that's Margaret's album and her key. You, you found her. Where is she? What's happened to her? She's safe. Come in the other room. Right. So her name's Margaret, huh? Margaret what? Veezy. Margaret Veezy. But where is she? I've been frantic. I just called the police. She left the house this morning and didn't come back. It's late now, and in her condition, I'm afraid that What something... is Margaret's condition, Mr. Gerard? She was injured in an auto accident a year ago last July, up near Vancouver. It affected her mind. Oh, but please, where is she? Just I must a minute. Get... There are some questions that I'd like answered first. Exactly what is Margaret Vesey to you? Well, until July 9th, 1948, when that horrible accident happened, nothing. Merely a hitchhiker. My wife and I were motoring back from a vacation in Canada. We picked Miss Vesey up on the road. In the accident, Grace, my wife, was killed. Miss Vesey seriously injured. All I knew about her was that she was alone in the world, so there was no one to help her. Well, since I was driving the car, I assumed that responsibility. It was the least I could do. I stayed with her in Vancouver until she'd partially recovered and then brought her here. She's been with me ever since. Now, will you please take me to her? But the story doesn't end there. What do you mean? Margaret Vesey's in trouble and she's scared. What do you know about a man named Tompkins, for instance? Why, nothing. I don't know any Tompkins. You do know a Norma Lacasso, don't you? Norma? Of course, Miss Lacasso and I are quite good friends. Mm -hmm. What about Alan Parmalee? Heard of him. He runs a nightclub, I believe. That's but right. It's... Now tell me, can you tell me why a third picture is missing in the album? What's that? Let me see. This is very strange. Margaret cherishes every picture in this album. She thinks that one was stolen. Any idea what the picture was? No. I can't imagine why it was stolen. All the pictures were simple, harmless snapshots. I can't remember the one that's missing, but... 
Marlowe, what does all this mean? What's it all about? Well, as near as I can tell, there's some kind of nasty shakedown brewing. I don't know how or why, but Alan Pomley's behind it, and Margaret Vesey's caught in the middle, so it involves you, too. Come on, let's go get her. She's asleep in my place. You didn't leave her alone. Oh, yes, I did. Well, you shouldn't have done that. Couldn't you tell from her mental state that she isn't responsible? For two days, she's been moody. She's been talking about suicide. She might... Marlowe, if anything's happened... Come on, Gerard, let's travel. In just a moment, the second act of Philip Marlowe. But first, by the time you've listened to Johnny Dollar, Philip Marlowe, Gangbusters, and Escape and the CBS All-Star Saturday Night lineup, you may be for some sleuthing of your own. So try it with Sing It Again and The Phantom Voice. Don't always let the other guy or gal solve the mystery. Try it yourself with Sing It Again on most of these same CBS stations every Saturday night. Tune in, tune in this fall. For the shows that you love best of all Listen carefully Here's the address It's CBS, CBS Now with our star, Gerald Moore We return to the second act of Philip Marlowe And tonight's story, The Open Window It took ten minutes to get from Gerard's house to my place. I knew because he reminded me of each one as it passed. But when we turned on to Franklin where we could see my apartment house, the word hurry stuck in his throat. An ambulance was pulling away from a tight knot of people standing on the concrete driveway beside the building. And three floors above them, glowing like a single ugly, unblinking eye, was the window of my own apartment wide open. Even before I could stop the car, Gerard was out and running toward the crowd. Who was in that ambulance? The woman, mister, it was terrible. Window up there. Did you see it? Oh, nobody saw it happen. Yes, bad, brother. They say she'd been laying here on the concrete for at least a half hour before anybody got to her. It's been so quiet around here tonight. I'm surprised. Wait, tell me, was she was she dead? Just about. They don't give her a chance. Come on, Gerard. Let's go upstairs. The police are up there now. They're trying to find out. say the woman came here to your apartment, Mr. Marlowe, and asked you for help. Is that right? That's right, officer. She was frightened and exhausted. When I left, she was asleep on the divan there. Was the door locked, Marlowe? Yeah, it's got a night light, Gerard. I snapped it myself. And you left her alone, right? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, take a look around, will you? See if you can find anything to indicate that an outsider came in while you were gone. What makes you think there was an outsider here? Because I don't think she fell. Margaret was in mental turmoil, officer. She's been despondent. It's possible that she jumped. Yeah? How many people have you heard of that jumped out of a window backwards, mister? I think she was pushed. Pushed? Yeah. Come here, both of you. I want to show you something. He went over to the window and pointed at five scratches where fingernails had clawed the paint off the casing. The one that had to be made by her thumb was the lowest. It was true. She'd gone out backwards. As the officer explained that to Gerard, I stared down at the dwindling knot of people three stories below. Then up again at the five jagged scars ripped deep by a terrified woman's nails. Stared at them until they screamed at me as a sick mind must have screamed when she fell. Now, Mr. Marlowe, what about this cigarette stub with lipstick on it? Cigarette stub? Hey, that's exactly what I'd like to know. Gerard, where does Norma live? Why, in the Hillcrest Apartments on Sunset. But surely... Never mind what I think. You go to the hospital and find out about Margaret. I'm going to pay a call on Norma LaCasso right now. She's a type to be jealous enough to... Marlowe, listen. You're making a mistake. That cigarette stub must be Margaret's because Norma doesn't smoke. What? Norma doesn't smoke. Now, what about the cigarette case? Hey, Buster, you better check with Lieutenant Matthews at Homicide. I'll see you later. Hey, hey, come back here, Marlowe. 
Hillcrest Apartments fit Norma LaCasso to a T. There were sleek, soft tones of burnished wood, streamlined in glass, and just enough chrome around for glitter. And when she answered a door in glossy green, lounging pajamas edged in gold, smiled and tossed a head of hair that was almost burgundy back from her face, I knew what Alan Palmley meant. Loving Norma LaCasso would be hard to get over. Hello, Junior. Don't tell me you're joining the league, too. It's fast, you know. Skip it, baby. I'm coming in. Do you mind? No. <laughs> they do any good? Mm-mm. Get comfortable. I'll make you a drink or something. Hey, Normie, you know Margaret Vesey, don't you? That peculiar girl that stays at Gerard's place? Yeah, I'm gonna walk. A little while ago, she dropped three floors from an open window to a slab of concrete. Oh. Lay there over 30 minutes before she was found. Oh, Marlo, that's dreadful. I'm sorry. Don't look at me like that. I, I mean it. I like Margaret. So do I. What's more, she didn't fall. She was pushed. Oh. Got a cigarette? For sure. Here. Catch. Thanks. Oh, just one cigarette toss like that? The man is a lousy. You're supposed to pass the case oh. and let the guest help himself. Marlo, you're hurting. Oh. I'm going to keep right on twisting until that solid gold cigarette case drops. That's what I adore about men. They're fools. <clears throat> That's better. Villa. All right, to help yourself, the picture's there under the bottom layer of cigarettes. But why it's important is beyond me. It's important to Palmley, baby. Had you smuggled out of his office so I couldn't find it. Ah, Margaret and Gerard at some little amusement park, huh? Mm-hmm. Near Vancouver, probably. Told me how I used to take her out while she was recovering from that accident. So what? Even the autographs ought to make no sense to me. Yeah, this one's hers. Yeah, we had fun this day. This must be his, even the hottest day in Vancouver's history. Now, that's it, Marshall. all of it. Now, will you apologize for these wealth on my arm? I don't get it. Whole deal screwed. The only way it would make any sense is if... Norma, where's your phone book? Over there, under the phone. Mm-hmm. Why? What have you got, Marlowe? Just an idea so far. Stick around. That's the U.S. government. War assets, voices, weather bureau. Climatological records, yeah. Mutual, six... Four, four, two, one. Weather Bureau records. Hello, listen, can you tell me what the hottest day on record in Vancouver has been? I mean, the date. Do you have that information? British Columbia? Yeah. Yes, we've got it here, I'm pretty sure. Just a minute. What's that supposed to prove, Bob? I'm not sure yet. Yes, we've got it. it uh, hello? Yeah, I'm here. Go ahead. The book says the hottest day up there was on July 3, 1948, when the July temperature reached 3. 92 degrees. Some heat record, huh? That's a nice place, Vancouver. I was up there one year. Yeah, thanks, friend. The Weather Bureau just lifted a cloud from a lady's mind. Hope you did it in time. So long. You found out something big, didn't you? No works. Well, uh, aren't you going to pull a gun? They always do about here. Not me. I've got concealed weapons. You've also got dollar bills in your bloodstream instead of corpuscles. But you're smart, baby. So take a tip. Stick close to home. Don't even use the phone. A real nice, shiny item. I'd like to keep you that way. Thanks. I'm going to take your word, Junior. But what does it mean? Trouble. Just as soon as I can stir it up. Good night. From Norma's and the time that had gone by, I figured my best bet was Gerard's place, but I was wrong. It was deserted, so I took the next best, which was Alan Pomley's The Pearls. It was well after 2 o'clock when I got there, and the club was closed, but the lights were on, the offices upstairs. I parked, slipped around to the back and up a flight of iron stairs to a metal door at the top. I pressed my weight against it and very gently turned the knob. Then tugged softly and it swung open without a sound. Voices in the same square of orange light on the floor said that Pomley's office was open again. So I eased my gun into my hand and moved until I could see him. 
A pair of jackals coming to terms over Since the carcass of a Since I know your little farm. secret, Mr. Gerard, the proposition I'm offering you is perfectly fair. What is it? First, that you stop seeing Norma Lacasso. And I mean stop. Go on. Second, that you deliver $5,000 here to me by the end of the week. You must have got a lot of insurance on your wife, Gerard. Double indemnity, too. Am I asking too much? Blackmail leaves me no alternative. You're so right. How did you find out that she's not Margaret V.C.? Ha, <laughs> ha, a beautiful break. When you started seeing Miss LaCasa, I began checking up on you, and two days ago, that checking up led me to the strange woman you called Margaret Vesey and a character named Tompkins. Ever hear of him? No. An itinerant gardener was looking for work at your place. Also, Gerard, an itinerant gardener who knew your Margaret Vesey, who knew her as someone named Grace, and Grace Gerard, lest we forget, was your wife. When he called her, Grace had scared her. She couldn't do it, but I could. So I see. Where is this Tompkins now, Parmley? Oh, don't worry about him. I sent him away. You keep his mouth shut. He used to be a gardener on the wealthy side of Vancouver where your wife lived. Small world, eh? Very small world. Look up. Now, wait a minute, Gerard. I'm going to kill you, Parmley. I knew something like this would happen someday. My wife was getting her memory back. She was beginning to remember things, to realize that she wasn't really Margaret Beasy at all, that Margaret Beasy had died in the accident. And tonight, I pushed her out of an open window. Doctors practically assure me that she'll be dead by morning. She won't be missed, and neither will you, I'm sure. Next must be your belly, Gerard, if you move one inch. You, Pomley, come around here. Wait me at desk. Come on. This time I'm glad to see you, Marlowe. You're the lesser of two evils. That's great. Well, it was a sweet story, fellas. Between you, you left out only one thing, the picture. You got it from the little album because you needed some tangible proof, didn't you, Pomley? And it cinched the deal because the accident happened on the 9th of July. Gerard here had his picture taken with a supposed hitchhiker on Vancouver's hottest day, which was July 3rd, six days before he claims to have met the girl. Picture. How'd you manage the master stroke, Gerard, the switch in identities in the first place? Come on, talk! What are you It was a mistake. Both Miss Beasley and my wife were in the car at the time of the accident. The car burned. Then, somehow or other, later at the hospital, Margaret Beasley, who died, was identified as my wife, Grace. And since her memory was gone, you made the switch complete and called your wife Margaret Beasley and left it like that. You know, Gerard, I hope you make a break for it. Just once before we get to headquarters. Let's go. You too, Pomley, move. All right, but you'll have a hard time sticking me, Snoop. I haven't done anything. Oh, yes, you have. Attempted extortion, as of right now, you just incited a rat! in here, Mr. Marlowe. Sure it's all right if I see her now, Doctor? After what you've just told me, I think it's a good idea. Her condition has changed somewhat. She's responded better than I expected, but she can use some fighting spirit, some spunk. Maybe you can give her that. We can't. I hope so. Don't stay too long, that's all. Hello, Grace. I'm Philip Marlowe. Remember me? Yes, I think I do, Mr. Marlowe. Glad to see you. Oh, good. I, I just stopped by to tell you that I have all the answers to those troublesome questions in your mind. You don't have to be afraid of them anymore. You've got nothing to worry about now except getting well. Thank you. Oh, it's hazy back there. I, I can't remember where I've been. Well, you've been away, Grace, for a long time. But now you'll be going home soon to your friends. Believe that. I'll run along now and come back tomorrow when you're feeling better. We'll have a long talk then. Wait. Who is Margaret Vesey? The girl you knew once, briefly. And what I'll never forget. Went to sleep one night on my dive I don't remember. You will. 
Don't think about it now. Just think about home in Vancouver. You'll be there soon, I promise. Oh, that sounds wonderful. It's lovely in Vancouver. Yeah. That's what the weatherman says. Good night, my dear. When I finally got home, the air in my apartment was thick, full of stagnant fear and stale tobacco smoke. So I went over the window to open it up. There I stopped because I remembered standing at that same window earlier that evening, standing there thinking how happy I was that the world was out there, and how happy I was to be inside, looking out. Then I saw again the five deep scratches on the casing. Inside looking out, huh? There was a guy once, a long time ago, who said something like, No man is an island entire of itself. Yeah, about 300 years ago he said that. Any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind. Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, and are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald. Script is by Robert Mitchell and Gene Levitt. Featured in the cast were Betty Lou Gerson, Ed Begley, Lillian Bioff, Paul Dubois, Jay Duvello, and Harry Bartell. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Oran. Be sure and be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This time it was a wrestler on the skids, a quick change artist in an alley, and a girl with an eye for angles. All met destruction because a hundred thousand easy bucks caught him in a stranglehold, which none of them wanted to break. Next time you're in the woods, make sure that cigarette butt, that match, or that campfire is completely out. Only you can prevent forest fires. This is Paul Masterson speaking. Now stay tuned for Gangbusters, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. <laughs> 